This week's episode of The People's Theology is brought to you by Everyman. Everyman makes tools for everyday life. Things like pens and backpacks, notebooks, and wallets. And if you've never seen the Everyman catalog, go to the website, everyman.co. I own a pen, I own a wallet, and I love both. They look amazing, and they last forever, and they're super affordable. And right now, you can get a 15% discount on anything that you buy if you use the code TPTPODCAST at the checkout. That's the People's Theology Podcast when you go to checkout. So go look at the website, check it out. They make amazing stuff, and they are amazing people. Anyone who grows up in religious communities, at least I think this is going to be true of everybody who grows up in religious communities, but everybody who grows up in religious community comes to a moment, or many moments, where we question the communities we grew up in. We look at what they're doing, or we look at what they're saying, or we look at how they're engaging in the world, and we question whether or not they're good whether or not they're doing something worth celebrating, whether or not they fulfill some function, or whether or not they should even exist at all. And if you grew up in Christian communities like I did, and you look at the Christian church and how it's engaging the world around us, then, well, like me, you're probably asking that very same question. What are we doing? And can we do something different? I think what what the press misunderstands about evangelicals so often is that our whole faith is based, now I'm not a pastor, I'm an attorney, I was a commercial real estate developer before I became a college president, but what, what they don't understand about evangelicals is our whole faith is based on the theology of forgiveness. Of the, on the fact that we, I mean, we believe Jesus taught also that all of us are sinners. We all sin every day. And that's why evangelicals supported Trump so strongly because that's their theology. And he supported the policies that they thought were important, protecting the borders, cutting taxes, all the, appointing the Supreme Court justice, um, justices that are strict constructionists, all those things. Today, a remarkable confession from Pope Francis, admitting the leaders of the Catholic Church failed their people on priest sex abuse. We showed no care for the little ones. We abandoned them. Writing in a letter to the world's 1.2 billion Catholics, we were not where we should have been, that we did not act in a timely manner, realizing the magnitude and the damage done to so many lives. I believe truly that Trump is appointed by God to lead this nation back the direction it needs to go. Donald Trump is the answer to to our prayers. We know that he is a godly man. You may not be aware of it. Televangelism is still thriving in this country. Just earlier this year, a man named Creflo Dollar got people's attention with a bold request. Pastor Creflo Dollar of the World Changers Church International facing harsh criticism after starting a fundraising campaign to buy this $65 million luxury private jet. If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. You cannot stop me from dreaming.
The question for most of us listening to this right now is what do we do with ourselves? Like that's our team, that's our community. And so what do we do about that? Do we have to look like that? Or can we be something different? Can the church that we're a part of be something better? My name is Johnny Morrison, and you're listening to The People's Theology, brought to you by Missio Dei Community in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you never listened to The People's Theology, or we were on such a long break that you forgot what we were about, then the whole purpose of the show is to explore theology and culture like they matter. Because they do. Meaning they're not just abstract ideas, but they're the stuff of real everyday existence. We spent the first part of the year in the first three episodes of season two exploring culture, exploring why our world is the way that it is, trying to answer that question. And today, we're going to continue in the same theme, but try to answer what we do about that. What do we do about the world around us? How do we engage it? How do we make sense of it? Is there any way for us to, as followers of Jesus, think differently, act differently, and in that sense, affect change? Like real, genuine, good change. We're going to be having this conversation over the next couple of episodes, looking at it in different ways and in different places. But to start us off, I wanted to have a conversation about the role of the church in this culture. And I know that that can be a hard conversation because so many of us look at the church and don't see it as a vehicle of change, of positive engagement. We look at our own experiences, our own histories with the church, and we would prefer to stay away from it, to keep ourselves at a distance from it. Or we look at the church and culture and we say, I don't want any part of that. But yet there's this nagging reality that Jesus created the church. And so what do we do with it? Now to answer that question, today's conversation will revolve around an interview with Dr. and Pastor David Fitch. Now full disclosure, Fitch is a professor of mine and he is the head of my doctoral program, which probably means I'm a little biased. But that's okay, because I think what he has to say is important. And not just for me and my program, but for every single one of us trying to figure out how to do church. How to be a follower of Jesus engaged in culture, but in a different way than we're so accustomed to. To begin, I think we should start with Fitch himself give you a chance to hear his story so that you can understand why he's asking the questions that he is and what he's bringing to the conversation in the first place. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think people are tempted to see me as a professor and an academic person, but you know, uh, I'm not a young man anymore. I know you know this, Johnny. I don't want to tell you how old I am on the air, but uh, I didn't uh, enter academia formally until, I don't know, 
20 years ago, uh, 15, 18 years ago. Until then, I was a pastor, a stockbroker, uh, a, a, a guy trying to figure out uh, what it means uh, to be a Christian in this crazy world we live in. I did a PhD in theology and society at Northwestern University. And I was doing that in my 30s. And I really didn't enter academia until later on. Mm-hmm. And so my, I, I think what I prefer people to understand is I'm actually a pastor and somebody who loves to sit in coffee shops with people and do ministry. I was in a coffee shop this morning with someone at our church doing ministry, and I got more ministered to than, and, and this was a struggling soul. Uh, of course, I'm a struggling soul too. So we both ministered to one another. I, and I just learned so much. Uh, in this case, I learned about the Enneagram. I've been, I've been debating the positives and negatives and, uh, and how the Enneagram is being used. So anyways, it was a great time. So that's how I want people to see me is I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor, theologian kind of guy. Now, I know he mentioned it briefly, but if you're a Christian under the age of 36, once you heard him say Enneagram, you have to know the answer. So, of course, I asked him. Eight. Eight. Oh, that, yeah, that makes sense. Eight with a seven wing. Okay. All right. That means yeah. you're commanding, but like a party. I think is how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and knowing that about myself, and by the way, I didn't need to take the Enneagram to know that about myself, but knowing that about myself and having it reinforced just gives me an added uh, um, motivation to be humble and submit and repent. Now, Fitch said that he was a stockbroker, which I just found really fascinating. I'd never heard him say that before, and I wanted to know how a stockbroker leaves that world behind and then enters into the church and Christian academia. And come to find out, it's pretty essential to all the things he's thinking about. Yeah. I, uh, I, it's, it's a really good question, and it's, and it's actually a central, probably a central question to understand my life. But uh, after I got out of seminary, I was extremely discouraged with the state of the church in the United States of America. This was in the 80s. And so somewhere around 85, I, I uh, said, forget the church. I can't do this. And I studied um, international economy. And I got a job at Payne Weber. And one thing led to another, and I got pretty good at it. But uh, I lost my way. I, I saw the depths of the sickness of our society by being a trader, uh, a, man, a money manager, uh, a consultant in pension funds. And oh my goodness, I got saved. I got, really got saved the second time. And I tell people I got saved for real on the second time. Uh, if you're a holiness uh, person, tradition like I am, they have the second work of grace. And, and I say, that's the one that really took. All that to say, out of that, uh, a searching, a longing, a calling back into ministry um, happened. And yet the, the church as it was became a central question for me. Uh, how could this church engage the world that I had just lived in uh, and not get sucked up into it. And for me, oh, that became so evident to me that the church had gotten sucked up into the consumerist, capitalist, busyness 
uh, United States of America affluence and we totally lost our way. I thought it was helpful to hear Fitch describe his own experience with the evangelical church. Describe his own dissonance as he got out of seminary and realized this thing wasn't what he wanted it to be. Encouraging because sometimes it feels like we're the only generation to notice that. And obviously that's not true, but we can get isolated. And we can get isolated in our own experience of the church. And so that led me to ask Fitch whether or not he felt like the moments were different. Has anything really changed? Has it gotten worse? Has it gotten better? Has it stayed the same? And he said the church has has been a bit more humbled in the ensuing, I don't know, 30 years. Um, Church in Canada, uh, you know, I grew up in Canada, but since those days of growing up in Canada, the church in Canada has been enormously humbled, been put in, it does not have a voice anymore. It's like this little cute uh, uh, museum off to the side that everybody says, oh, isn't that cute? That's That's what we used to call church. And you know, uh, we're not there yet in the United States, but we have certainly been humbled in large parts of the United States. And this all calls us back to realizing we're a people in mission again, maybe more so in the United States and Canada and the West than anywhere else in the world, except maybe in the Islamic countries mm. of the East. And, and by the way, they probably believe, the Islamic countries probably believe more in God than we do. I mean, we meaning United States and Canada. Fitch just said something that is a little provocative, but it's very important to pay attention to, which is that he sees the United States and Canada, these Western post-enlightenment places, as being, in some ways, godless. Not because they're heathenistic or pagan or something. Don't bring that connotation to it. But because people don't care about God. And so in that sense, the church has been humbled. And in that sense, the church is now finding itself in a different context and required to respond differently. You know what I'm saying by that? Did I, did I, was that a problematic statement, Johnny? Johnny, by the way, is a student in the doctoral program in contextual theology at Northern Seminary where I teach. And so I can call him Johnny and I can ask him these kind of questions. But um, was that a problem? I said this, I said this, I think, so I think we are more in mission now here in the West and certainly the Christ, the new Christendoms in Latin America and Africa are among those. But the Islamic countries, I said, maybe except for the Islamic countries, but then I said the Islamic countries actually believe in God more than we do. We meaning countries of the West, United States and Canada, et cetera, or Europe. What do you think about that, Steve? This might seem like a tangent to the larger conversation we're having about the church in America. But it's important and it's indicative of some larger philosophy that Fitch is bringing and indicative of something even more important than that, a theology of mission and a theology of God's presence in the mission before we ever get there. Now we have to deal with the thick, thorny question of whether when they say Allah, they mean the same thing as when we Christians say the word God, the Father. Well, obviously, there's enormous differences, but it goes back to 
the Old Testament or uh, the Torah or, uh, you know, that that first set of canonical literature that even uh, Islam looks to. Mm -hmm. So in some respects, they have a bigger place for God. In fact, there's no question God. I mean, we don't see anybody praying on the streets of the United States of America, and that goes for Christians. But at three times a day, you see every Muslim in an Islamic country bow their head east towards Mecca and pray towards God. So that's all I'm saying is there's a there's a there's a more of a belief in God, even though I would say that belief in God is incomplete and somewhat problematic and needs Jesus. They at least believe in God in the Islamic countries where we go around 24 seven as if we don't believe in God and we don't even need him. Did I just upset some people on the podcast? Well, I hope I've upset them in a way that leads them to Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So now that leads to the question we're here for, which is what does the church do about this? We live in a world that doesn't care much about God with a church that we don't necessarily care much about and one that has been humbled by those circumstances. And so what does it do moving forward? How does it go about its work? Well, first of all, okay, so in my most recent book, Faith and Presence, I try to say church should be, um, okay, to put it in a catchphrase, church should go from programs Hmm. to presence. Or let's let's say it another way. Church shouldn't be something we go to. Church should be a way of life. And uh, we need, therefore, to be a people shaped to live our lives as subjects of the King, of, of, of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, the way I put it in Faithful Presence is we need to uh, practice um, His presence in our lives in three different circles. First, that circle on Sunday morning when we all gather as the, I call it the closed circle, when we're all discerning and being and listening to Scripture, the preaching of the gospel, <clears throat> the, uh, the Lord's table, and the uh, return of praise and response to Him as our Lord and Savior. But then we go out and we we share meals together in the neighborhood as Christians. And then we also make sure we are inhabiting what I call the half circle, the third space, where we are with the hurting, the lost, the broken, the people who do not yet know Jesus as Lord. And this becomes just a sustainable pattern that shapes our lives as the church, as opposed to let's go to a program for this, let's go get this taken care of here, let's get a little pumped up on Sunday morning. I'm being a little cynical. I don't mean to be a little cynical. I believe in the Church of Jesus Christ. I just think we need to go from being a maintenance organization to keep Christians maintained to being a place, a way of life which God uses to shape, transform the world. And that includes all the people who are lost apart from Christ. And that includes all the injustices, the pains, the brokenness, the racism, the, the uh, lostness in our world. That we, we just All we need to do is just get back to being Christians again. Hmm.
when you say that the church needs to go from program to presence, what do you mean by presence? Yeah, uh, I mean, um, instead of uh, doing things, programming things at the church building to take care of issues, and anyone who's got a problem, a spiritual problem, or even a health problem, or some other, let's say, financial problem, we have programs at the local church. We have programs for uh, financial health. I believe the guy's name is uh, Tom Rainier or somebody like that. I don't mm. know. It's, 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 there's a name for it. Uh, a lot of churches do it. I, it's, it's a good thing, I'm sure. But um, instead of uh, doing a program for a financial church for an hour and a half on a Wednesday night, five weeks, you too can have a program to get your finances in order and get 10% to the church. Instead of doing a program, let's sit around tables and be present to one another and ask ourselves and, and seek the questions as to what's driving the way we think about money, the way we think about our jobs, the way we uh, organize our lives. What kind of, why did we buy that car that cost $52,000 uh, when actually we don't even make $52,000 a year, you know? Uh, and and we, we begin to be present to one another and ask, uh, what is God saying to us and calling us to do with our money and how to live uh, frugally, but also fruitfully with mm-hmm. our money? So we go from programming it to making it a practice of presence in our everyday lives, sorting out why we do the things we do, what we're called to do with our money. Is it Tom Renier who does that? Financial that name program? sounds familiar. You and I obviously are not in on the program. <laughs> Anyways, Tom, if I falsely characterize you, I repent uh, before I even get a phone call. I don't think he listens, so I think you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first time I ever heard Fitch talk about this programs versus presence approach to the church, if I'm honest, it just sounded small. It wasn't very novel at first. It didn't feel original. Then if you press into it, if you just give it some time, if you allow yourself to think through what it actually means, maybe it isn't novel, but it is a big difference from what we normally do. I could just think about it in my own life. I've learned a lot of really good things through programs in church. Those have been valuable and amazing. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of adult life, when I have to decide what it looks like to actually follow Jesus with my finances, a program, it just isn't helpful. But people imagining their lives differently around a table, that is helpful. It isn't just helpful, it's life-changing, even though it seems small and maybe insignificant. It isn't. But I also have to be honest and say, it's really hard. And it's hard because the conversations are hard, because doing that with people is hard, because all coming around a table is a difficult thing to even administer. But I think one of the hardest parts is just that not everybody's interested in that. And people bail and they leave. And the ones that you thought were family and the ones that you thought were in this with you, well, sometimes you find out they're not. And you have to figure out what to do with that, how to live with that. Yeah, this gets back to our earlier discussion. 
when we are now realizing the marginalization of the church and the culture is so consumerized and uh, we're all struggling to keep Christians together as long as we possibly can to do a thing we call church. And so people are just now programmed, uh, if I can use the word programmed in a different way, let me, let me think of a different way. We're trained mentally to think, oh, I've got to go find a church. This is Christians who grew up in church. I got to go find a church that agrees with me. I got to go find a church where I get A, B, and C. I need a youth group for my children. I, I need uh, a good preacher on Sunday morning that can give me a good pump you up speech and make me feel good about being a Christian because Lord knows I'm getting the hell beat out of me six, the other six days of the week. And what this does is uh, it creates this, this mentality you just described. Um, you know, I often say the last church I would want to go to is a church that agrees with everything I do, that agrees with me. I want to go to a church where I'm challenged, where I'm faced with the new situations, because if you haven't noticed, the culture's giving us stuff to deal with. My parents never had any idea it even existed, never mind had an idea they'd ever deal with. So if we don't have that kind of place, we're stuck. We're defensive. We're living in our little uh, cul-de-sacs. And, and we're not living the Christian life. We're living in a prison. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge for pastors like you and me is how to cultivate a different vision for the church. We have to do it. It's not going to be as immediately successful but over 10 to 15 years, it's going to yield so much fruit, not only in your life, uh, not only in your people's lives, but in your life, a pastor. You know, how many, how many pastors we know get burned out within five to seven years because they're just so tired of keeping everybody happy? Okay, forget about it, folks. Uh, and if this means you have to go get another job, I, I have some advice for you on that. There are ways for pastors skilled people, men and women who can go out and get jobs. But all this to say, we need to pastor a different way and cultivate a way of life among the people shaped around his presence. I guess the question is then, well, how do we do that? And what does it mean? What does it mean to do church and community based upon presence and not programs in a way that gives life as opposed to drains life? What I want to say about the other way of thinking about church mm -hmm. is we have to realize, A, that presence is the way God works. He doesn't work through um, information. He doesn't like, okay, here's the information you need to know how to be a good Christian now. Go do it. That worked about 50 years ago when everybody already was a good Christian. They just need a little reinforcement. Mm -hmm. Now we need transformation in our lives that comes through the presence of God in our lives. <clears throat> so I just challenge everybody who's listening, just look from one end of the Bible to, to the end and see how the presence of God, temple, tabernacle, the very presence of Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, the very presence of God in the temple, the presence, the presence. Read the Psalms. It's all about God's presence and the way he will work in our lives if we will just make space for him. And so the church is about coming into his presence, making space for his presence through the gifts and the sacraments of the Holy Spirit. I'll call it that. 
I put Roman Catholicism and Pentecostalism there in one line. Did you notice that? <laughs> I see that. Sacraments of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> These things we do that make space for God in our lives, including reconciliation and hearing the word preached in the table. But anyways, and, and healing, by the way, which, which the Catholics called unction and we Pentecostals call, you know, divine faith healing. But anyways, we need to make space for the work of the presence of God. But we also need to know he's at work in our lives in the neighborhoods and in the places of brokenness and where people are broken. And this is how God shall work to change the world. So we need a church that lives and tends to his presence, not just on Sunday morning, but in the other two. I call two circles of life, the circle of discipleship in our homes and the circles and the half circles of, of ministry and evangelism among the hurting. If you are a Christian and not spending time in that third circle, you're not going to grow because you're not going to be challenged and you're not going to see God do miracles. Was that, that was a long, were you people out there bored, right? I mean, that was like a good five, 10 minutes of me just going off and I apologize, but I hope you followed some of it. Fitch's most recent book is called Faithful Presence. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it because a lot of what we're talking about in this podcast comes from that book. So you just heard him mention three circles. And the three circles are the various places that Christians spend their lives. The first circle is the church. The second circle is the maybe less formal, but still religious environments, like your home, where you're gathered around with other Christians around the table. And then the third space is when you're out in the midst of the world. And so the question after you hear about those circles is you're supposed to live in those circles, but what do you do in those spaces? And that's what faithful presence focuses on. Specifically, Fitch articulates seven practices. And right now he's going to do a very brief run through of those practices. But if you want more information about them, check out his book, Faithful Presence. I uh, located seven practices. Um, If you look at the history of the church, you know, uh, these seven practices were part of everyday life for the first couple hundred years of the church's existence. What happened somewhere around 313 AD and Constantine and the Roman expansion of the church, where, you know, because Constantine was the Roman emperor, it became a Christian. Over the ensuing 75 years till Theodosius, excuse me, um, uh, you had like 26 million Christians come into the fold in like 75 years. And my goodness, the church couldn't handle it. So they had to turn these practices that I'm trying to describe into programs, you know, and they call them, Mm. eventually they call them the seven sacraments, but the sacrament is the material means by which God becomes present, really present. And these are practices that we need to do for everyday life. The church kind of compartmentalized them and brought them inside the four walls of the building. But we need to do these in all the circles of our lives. And these practices are simply table, eating together, tending, Jesus promises to be present. Whenever you eat this meal, do this in remembrance of me. It's not a cognitive act. It's, it's a nemesis. It's, it's a little bit of, of making present what happened in the past. But also, I would, I would argue, uh, be present to my presence again here. Remember me. Know that I'm there. And so... Uh, the table, whenever we eat, let's be present 
and know and recognize his presence, his forgiveness, his transforming power, what he's doing in and through and among us through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I have seven practices like that, reconciliation, uh, preaching, proclaiming the gospel, um, being with the poor, being with children, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and last but not least, prayer, kingdom prayer, the kind of prayer that submits us to the king and opens up space for him to be present in our lives and work in our lives. So, um, yeah, all of what I said before about presence and about the circles, uh, we, need, we need the means to locate and tend to God's presence. And he, Jesus has already given us these practices and promises to be present in these practices and to work in these practices, work and change the world through these practices. So we have these practices of Christian life and of church engagement. And they're simple and yet beautiful. They're easy and yet difficult and powerful. But the next question I wanted is just to see if Fitch could show me how they work. Now, I I understand how they work conceptually, but it feels like it changes things when they're on the ground. And so I just hit him with like a few rapid fire issues. And then what you'll hear next is a kind of condensing of those answers into how those practices might actually play out on the ground. The church is very tempted to just go in and either affirm or, or not affirm based on the existing ideology, but right, really we're not dealing with people's lives in the concrete. And so these practices and the presence of Christ calls us to be present with people who are struggling and who we have disagreement with mm-hmm. and to submit to them and to unwind Thing so you so um, my comment is don't enter in be present listen I think Andrew Marin in his book Us versus Us uh, describes in the, in the most comprehensive study ever ever done by on uh, by an academic on on lesbian and gay people that eighty eight percent of all lesbian and gay people grew up in a church over ninety percent of whom grew up in a conservative church. Hmm. And they, and it just shows that we have not made space in the church to be present and talk and talk through sexuality, but we have to do it. Yeah. And we, and we, we just can't do it on the terms of, of the person in power, which is the heterosexual white male. We need to actually open up space for mutuality. And I, and I believe out of this space, God will heal and do a new thing. But do you understand how we need yeah. to make space for conversations and, and to be present to one another? Mm-hmm. And, and this comes through conflict, but also over meals and trust and recognizing that Jesus is present and working in that person across the table from me. Recognizing that Jesus is at work in the person across the table from me. Even if that person is someone I disagree with or I think is wrong— is an act of humility. We often, and I think we're culturally trained to do this, we often make power plays. So before entering into the conversation or before entering into someone's life, we make a judgment about who they are, about what they are, about what they've done. We call it biblical or unorthodox. And that shuts down the conversation. It shuts down presence. It stops us from being attentive. That doesn't mean that things aren't right or wrong. 
But presence is an invitation into humility to see that God might actually be working in someone, even though we don't understand it or see it. And so that's why this final piece of the conversation with Fitch is important, which is uh, how do we understand power in this space? How do we understand traditional leadership positions in this space? Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, 42 and following <clears throat> um, you know what the Gent- how the Gentiles lord it over you how the tyrants rule it shall not be so among you you the first shall be last those who wish to lead shall be servants of all and uh, so Jesus transforms leadership chance transforms how we interact with people. And so uh, this is foundational to how we live our lives in leadership. Um, and so, yeah, the gifts are the place, we, we are all given gifts according to Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. We're all given gifts, but we are to stay within the measure of faith afforded us within that gift. So we are to be dependent on all the other gifts. Uh, we are to exert our gift and submit it to the church, but know the authority of Christ rests on our gift. But we don't we don't do it coercively. We do it in submission to the community. So this is just part of the way of leading. It doesn't mean there's no leadership. It just means it's it's a posture of of leading. So I grew up uh, being a type A white male leader. I grew up being one of those guys, authoritarian. Uh, And I decided I cannot be part of a church that leads like this. And uh, because I, I felt like not only did I feel the abuse as somebody in power, but I, I felt everybody was being abused. And I said, I can't do this. And I started to search the scriptures and see how Jesus called us to be together in leadership. And so I just think we're always going to be, have this propensity to do it the world's way, to coerce the hell out of everybody. But we need to be called again and again to the way of the cross. But if I just go, hey, you're coming to my damn party, whether you like it or not, <laughs> that's not going to do I just think we have to consistently call each other back into leading by the power of the Holy Spirit yeah, out of his out of his gifts. I think that's the way of the future, the way of the kingdom, the way of church impacting the world again. I think that last statement really sums up what Fitch is saying. And it's not necessarily totally a radical different approach to church but it is a radically different posture to life. A posture of humility, a posture of embrace, a posture of presence, which seeks to know and pursue and be with as opposed to solve or program or deal with. And if we can start asking that kind of question, how do we tend to presence? How do we tend to presence in people and in the world and in our own lives and around our table? Well, then it feels like we might actually be able to engage the world differently. Mm-hmm.
better, in fact. You've been listening to The People's Theology, brought to you by the Missio Collective in Salt Lake City, Utah. For more information about what we do or about the show, check out our websites at either missioslc.com or missioutah.com. Music on today's show was brought to you by Poddington Bear, Chad Crouch, and Lee Rosevere. With a special thank you to David Fitch for being on the show and taking time to be interviewed. If you haven't, go check out his book, Faithful Presence, as well as his other book, End of Evangelicalism. I highly recommend both. And finally, I promise this is the last thing. Would you go subscribe to the show wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and give us a review? It really helps people find us. And then share us with a friend or someone you know who is asking the same kinds of questions or wondering about the role of the church in the world. We want to be a resource. We want to be a help to you. And I guess finally, finally, thanks for listening.